everybody. Welcome back to We Bought a Mic for our special coverage of Tribeca 2021. I'm Ernest. I am just a casual fan, Hunter. And today we have a interview uh, with the director, writer and director of The God Committee, Mr. Austin Stark. Um, I had a chance to watch this movie uh, starring a little bit of a, of a kind of stack cast, uh, Julia Stiles, Janine Garofalo, Kelsey Grammer, uh, Coleman Domingo. Um, and it's a story of a group of people who have to decide uh, who is going to get a heart transplant from a list of prospective patients. Um, they only have a short while to decide uh, before the, the organ starts to fail um, when it becomes available. It's based on a play, so you can kind of tell, you know, how that sort of premise would be, uh, you know, perfectly executed in, in the confines of a play. You know, this conference room of people having these discussions as to like who is going to get the heart. Um, but Stark kind of takes that and just expands it. He adds a lot of other elements, some subplots, uh, a timeline that's set. Uh, it's like two um, parallel timelines, a couple years apart. Um, so it's not a, a direct adaptation of the play it was based on. Um, but, you know, it's an interesting uh, story about, you know, kind of what influences these people's decision making when they're trying to kind of see who is the best candidate for this this heart transplant. So we had a great conversation. We also, at the end, I had a chance to ask him about his previous film, which starred Nicolas Cage. It's called The Runner. So I had a chance to ask him about what it's like to work with Nicolas Cage. It was a little bit of a treat right there. I'm, I'm so excited to listen to it, just to hear that that conversation right there. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I had to. I had to because yeah. we're doing our Cage series and we're asking as many filmmakers as possible about their favorite Cage performances. And Stark worked with Cage on this film. And you'll hear a little bit about what it's like to work with Cage uh, right from a, a primary source. Mm -hmm. Primary source on the pod. All right, so here is my conversation with Austin Stark of The God Committee. I hope you enjoy. I am delighted to be joined here by Mr. Austin Stark, uh, writer and director of The God Committee. How you doing, Austin? I'm pretty good. Thanks for having me on. Of course, man. All right, let's jump right into it. Uh, first thing I, I wanted to ask you is uh, uh, this film, it's kind of been done for a while. You kind of been sitting on it for a while. So, <laughs> you know, given the state of the world and everything and, and all this craziness, I'm just curious, like your your emotions right now, how, how has it been like to just kind of wait and wait and wait until finally people can see your <laughs> new movie? I think cathartic is the word that I would use. I mean, so we were supposed to premiere at Tribeca last year and obviously the pandemic happened and our plans changed and we had finished the film shortly before. So yeah, I've been sitting on it for, for about a year now and uh, it's, it's, it's really incredible um, to finally have it coming out. 
not to mention it's uh, I'm, I'm from New York. I'm born and raised here. Uh, it's a New York film we shot here and uh, it takes place here. And um, my one of my first films premiered in Tribeca. And then we have also the the aspect of that this is the first major in-person film festival since COVID. So it, it's it's all really, um, yeah, it's very special. Exciting, exciting to have uh, the, the the cinematic uh, in-person experience. Totally. Part and then the film comes out in, in two weeks too. So it's being released in the US um, uh, on July 2nd. So we have all of these things coming together. <laughs> um, I wanted to ask you about the writing process first, because I see that you base this on a play. Um, so I'm curious about what that's like. Have you ever adapted anything before? Uh, what was that process like? No, this was actually the first, um, my first adaptation. Uh, and that process was, I, I really respond, um, these, uh, Jonathan Rubenstein and Ari Pinchot from the, uh, Crystal City Entertainment, two of the producers had seen this play and they, they fell in love with it and they optioned it and they sent it to me to direct. And I read it and I was like, I, I was blown away, but by the same token, I wanted to make it my own and to put my own stamp on the material. So really the, the film, the script that I ended up writing is, is inspired by that play, but a lot, there's a lot of things that I did change in, in putting my own stamp on it, um, including creating, uh, you know, an entirely new storyline that takes place um, seven years in the future, which is the present day. Um, and so, you know, I, I, I guess I went into it thinking that, like, on one level, I want um, this to speak to me um, and, and to really make the characters and, and, and the plot my own. And then on another level, I, I wanted to make the film feel as cinematic as possible. And, that's, and that was my goal uh, in terms of adapting it from the play. So I'm assuming the play was pretty much all contained in that the in the committee room itself in those discussions between those characters. Exactly. Right? It was all set in the border. So what what made you want to really lean into that choice of of leaving that confinement? Did you feel like that the 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 themes and, and the story that you wanted to explore was better served outside of the the room? Well, the boardroom is still a big player in the film. It's still, I'd say, probably 30, 30% of the film is set in, in the boardroom. But what I thought was really interesting was to show, because, you know, for people that don't know anything about the movie, like the, the boardroom scenes are about a committee, a heart transplant committee at a New York hospital um, who has one hour to decide which of three patients deserves a heart that has suddenly and unexpectedly become available. And so with that, with the storyline that takes place seven years later, I thought it was really compelling to show the impact of that one decision on so many different lives. Um, kind of going off of that, I was curious about the photographs that we see at the beginning and the end of the movie. Uh, could you talk about what that is and, and what the kind of real life medical uh, ties in the story are? Yeah, those are those are photos. Um, they're vintage photos. They're of doctors uh, taken throughout time. I believe it spans from like the early 1900s up until um, I think we have some shots maybe from the 80s. And just uh, some of them, like what, one of the photos is the group of doctors who performed the first transplantation. Um, 
And uh, so I, they all have a, a meaning, a special meaning um, for me. And I think on the level that the reason why I, I, I included them was because I, in many ways, I see this film as a love letter to doctors who toil away in the trenches, at, you know, who work within a very well-intentioned but imperfect system. Imperfect because simply because we have an organ shortage. We need more people to donate. Um, did you pull from any kind of real life examples of this? Is this like, is there a real God committee in some iteration? Yeah, there's organ transplant programs all over the country and they basically classify patients and determine their viability for a transplant. And they take into account, um, obviously medical need is the main, the main thing, but they also have to take into account social, psychological, and in some ways, by proxy, economic factors when evaluating their patient. And a little and, corruption, perhaps? I mean, I, I think that this is an extraordinary circumstance, and it does paint corruption. But I want to be very clear that the film condemns that corruption. I don't, I don't believe in people uh, being able to buy organs. Yeah, but that, that's human nature, isn't it? Yeah. It's, it's this horrible trap that we fall into a time after time where there's always people in the room that want to do the right thing. Um, but first of all, are those people going to speak out loud enough? And are they going to get their way over the people who might, you know, not? Yeah, no, I mean, it, it, it does speak to the influence of money in America. And, and we tend to commoditize a lot of things, you know, I mean, prisons, um, weapons. <laughs> I mean, they have money has a major influence over our system. And, and it, it, it does speak to that. <clears throat> uh, let's talk about the cast a little bit. Uh, obviously, we don't have enough time to kind of dive into every single person. But I was curious about kind of the casting process. Did you feel like, you know, because this is based on a play, and there's already sort of these, these characters that are already established, did you feel like any role was kind of a challenge to cast? And did you feel like any particular actor like stepped up to that challenge in any way? Yeah, I, I mean, I think they're all did an incredible job. Um, the characters actually are, besides Father Dunbar, I believe they're all different from the play. I, I was inspired oh, okay. by certain things in the play. Um, but, but yeah, I, I think I think that's the case. Um, and, uh, but they, I think they all really brought it. I mean, Kelsey, the reason why Kelsey wanted to do this is because he felt like he had never done this before. And I actually offered him Father Dunbar, Coleman Domingo's role at first. And he read it and he was like, I really want to be a part of this. Like, it's a very meaningful script. But, you know, and but I, I feel like and I'm happy to play Father Dunbar. But but I feel like I've done that before. And I feel like I also feel like what would be very interesting and unexpected is if I played Dr. Boxer and I sat there and I thought about it for a beat and I was like, you know what, you're right. And um, <laughs> it's, it's funny because now I can't imagine anybody else playing Boxer except for Kelsey. So you live with it for a few years and you're like, I mean, it's, it's hard to imagine. I think he did an incredible job. And he's great. He's yeah. really great. Especially all the stuff in the, in the sort of uh, 2021 timeline where he's you know kind of sickly and ill and he i mean obviously there's you know makeup involved in everything but he sells it really well oh yeah yeah <laughs> he did a very good job i mean when he watches it it's painful for him um to see himself sick like that 
Um, it's a great performance. Coleman Domingo too. I love seeing him pop up in, in so many things. I just want him to be like this huge star. Cause he's, he's like, I, I do too, actually. <laughs> like he's so like, I mean, he's becoming a, a, a star as we speak, but the guy should be like, yeah. he should be a household name. Like I don't understand how he's not bigger than he is. He is incredible. Like, did you see the the Euphoria uh, pandemic episode that he did? Yeah, phenomenal. Yeah, just just yeah. phenomenal performance that he's capable of. I yeah. did want to ask you about. Uh, I would love to do just another movie just with Coleman Domingo. Yeah. like like <laughs> just just put him, just follow him like for a whole like like I mean I always joke about doing a sequel to this just based on Father Dunbar or a prequel when he was disbarred. You know, when he was a lawyer and he was smart and he finds God, you know, to just do a film about that character with Coleman Domingo, like, I think would be really cool. Let, I don't have any money to finance that, <laughs> but let's, let's make it happen. Exactly. Uh, I did want to ask you about Janine Garofalo, though, because I had never seen her do any dramatic work before. I mean, has she done, did you see her in something that made you think that that she would be good for this film because I was surprised that I was like, oh my God, this is a comedic actor that I've seen do stand up. And obviously, Wet Hot American Summer is like one of my favorites. What made you want to cast her in, in this, like, you know, serious role? Yeah, honestly, I hadn't seen her do anything like this. <laughs> and, but I had this feeling that, like, if she, like, you know, because you're used to seeing her be bigger and in comedies and she and she is like naturally big as like an actor. And I like the idea of like, you know, restraining that a bit and like having it feel totally authentic and and really seeing her as this like weary bureaucrat, like who was who was once I imagine her like 20 years earlier being like. Um, Julia Stiles, where she was this idealist and the years have just beaten her down. And I cast her just because I felt like it was unexpected. Yeah, I, I it was definitely unexpected, but it's it's always good to see actors, you know, you know, try different things. And you always get the feeling that like they want to do something outside of the scope of what they've been known for in the public eye. And and it can be a challenge for them, you know, and totally. challenges are good. Yeah, when it works, it works. In this case, I think she did a phenomenal job. Of course, there's there's films where you see that that turn and it doesn't pay off. But I wanted to take a chance and I wanted to to make an interesting casting choice. And she really responded to the material. And so I was like, yeah, let's, let's go, let's do it. Um, I have a, a a note about asking you the the details of some of the actual heart transplants. I uh, I always am fascinated when we see, uh, you know, very kind of visceral, uh, realistic type stuff like that. How did you realize those sequences? There's even a moment where <laughs> Julia Stiles' character is like kind of poking the heart a little bit and, and waiting for it to. Yeah, to you have to tap the heart. Um, before they, they have to give it a little push in order to get it beating. And that was something I learned. We had medical consultants um, on set every day that we were shooting those scenes. And for me, I just wanted it to feel authentic. Um, and without, and, 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 and cause we, we show it and we, we don't hide, we don't hide those, those transplant scenes. And I tried to create a balance where people weren't grossed out, but that, you know, that felt real though. At the same time, 
Did you look at any other films that you were inspired by for some of that stuff or really just in general for any of the other stuff? 21 grams. I was looking at some of the hospital scenes, but that wasn't, I don't, not for the surgery scenes, the surgery scenes. I was just trying to, uh, to just to, to get it, to, to get it right. And to have it feel like real life. And that was just from the medical consultants. But in terms of the way that the hospital looked, I was looking at 21 grams quite a bit. What, what is that process like of, of, of shooting, uh, those kind of open heart surgeries do you have real hearts or is it prop hearts like what's the is it cgi it's 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 a prop heart with an engine that so there's an engine connected to it and that's how it it beats and then you have um special effects with the blood and uh there's a torso that we created um so it's like a rubber torso and the heart gets set in there, the motor gets turned on and you have to cue it when you want it to start beating, obviously. Yeah. I love it that. Takes, it takes like a half a day to, to set that up. I love that yeah. you take the time to do that and you're not just calling up the, v, the VFX house and exactly. the takeover at that point. Yeah, I, I, was, I was surprised. The, the, Tom Denier, who did the FX, like he was... I thought we were going to have to do something with VFX and post and we didn't because he did such an incredible job. Yeah, it's, it's, it's visceral. Um, we have just a couple minutes and I'm curious about uh, asking you about your, your previous film real quick, because here on our show, we've been covering the films of Nicolas Cage. Uh-huh. And we're doing a whole series that we're wrapping up um, uh, in the next couple of weeks. And he starred in, in your first film, The Runner. And I was just curious about what is it like to work with him? He's so cool. I mean, he's, he's every bit as eccentric as you think he is. He, um, but he's also the sweetest guy. Like, and you wouldn't expect that. And another thing that I wasn't expecting, because I didn't know him that well before we started working on The Runner. And, and I told him, like, we talked about the character and I was like, you know what? Like, I see that, like, him putting on weight after he has to resign and he's, like, drinking himself into oblivion. And, and you know, and I was like, we can do that with, um, with, with costumes and just, you know, have your clothes be a little baggy or whatever. So he shows up in New Orleans where we shot that and he had put on 15 pounds for the role. And, and he had also, he knew every line, right? If I changed a line and sent a new draft, like a little, like a word, and I didn't track changes, he'd call me up and be like, Austin, like, I, I want to know why you changed this line from before, you know, like, just like pinpointing a very specific thing. And like, I was like, wow. I mean, he just came so prepared and that, that blew me away. <laughs> so it, it's, it's a story about like, uh, like political corruption, I think. Uh, I, I haven't yeah. had a chance to see it, the film. It follows a, um, a Louisiana congressman in the aftermath of the BP oil spill, and his career gets destroyed. Like, he becomes a name, like, a pretty well-known congressman because of his work during the BP oil spill, and then it comes out that he was having an affair, and he has to resign, and it's about him trying to get his life back. Sounds so fascinating. It seems like you're you're interested in these stories about kind of like real world uh, issues that you know we probably don't see a lot of movies about, right? Yeah, exactly. I mean, from also as a producer, I've worked on a bunch of socially relevant films, and I just two stories that resonate with me. Um, 
And then I have another film that I'm working on now, just finishing the script that's set during the Spanish flu uh, in 1917. That's amazing. <laughs> it, it, it's a dark, um, dark comedy. Thrill, it has thriller aspects as well about a, um, a cook who's kind of like a, a grifter, like bum, like sort of like Jack Nicholson in, um, in uh, was it, One Floor of the Cuckoo's Nest. And he gets a job working for an affluent family, like on East Egg, like, you know, from the Gatsby. <laughs> and, and they're like all locked down and he uses the pandemic as an opportunity to create an uprising with the fellow staff members and take over the household. So it's all about classes, you know, so it, it has social relevance, even though it's, yeah. yeah. Did you come up with this idea before COVID? Or, um, or yeah, it was well, during COVID. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I, I love that, you know, juxtaposing history with, with current events. I love yeah. this stuff like that. Uh, last question back to, to Cage. I've been trying to ask this to as, as many uh, filmmakers as, as I can throughout Tribeca. Uh, off the top of your head, do you have a favorite performance of his? And you're not allowed to say The Runner. <laughs> no, I'm leaving Las Vegas. Wow, yeah. yeah. Yeah, that would definitely be it for me. And Raising Arizona, too. Um, yeah. uh, I mean, he's been in so many great films, but th those two. Yeah, I mean, leaving Las Vegas, other than, than the fact that it's his Oscar, it's him just like kind of subverting everything that people think about him in, in such a dark and, and sad way, you know, very melancholy performance, very depressing. Yeah. It's really powerful. You could see he actually went to that place when he, when he filmed that. I mean, yeah. he's a method actor. So like he will, when you're shooting scenes that are heart wrenching, like he will come out of it in that mood. Yes. Yeah. And I've, he won't, he won't just snap out and put a smile on his face after you shoot something like that. He'll be in, like, he'll stay within that mood, like the full day. And I don't think it's by choice either. It's not like he's like embracing the method. I think it just genuinely affects him. Yeah. It's like a, it's like a spiritual thing pretty much. Yeah, it is. Like, he really goes there, right? which is, I, I, I could never do that. Uh, I don't that's, understand how he does it, <laughs> but that's, that's why he's the, paid, you know? <laughs> That's one of the things that I've learned watching all these movies in the series that we're doing is that a lot of people think of him as almost like a joke. Like he's just like the silly, crazy guy. And the more you dig into his work, the more you realize like how freaking talented he is. Yeah. yeah, people forget that. And just because he did, you know, these B action movies and that's kind of why people started to believe that. But the guy is incredibly talented <laughs> you know i mean he's not a joke at all <clears throat> well thank you so much for your time austin i wish you the best with the god committee like you said it's coming out soon can you tell people where is it is does it have a home yet yeah um, vertical entertainment is releasing it in uh in theaters and on demand on july 2nd so it'll be in select theaters i i don't um know which ones but it should be you know all around the country and then it'll also be uh in your home so the usual ways you watch vod itunes amazon uh cable vod uh google play etc all over the the internet streamers that's exactly something. well exactly. congratulations on the film good luck with tribeca and everything and good luck with that next uh uh pandemic movie that sounds awesome. I really hope you get to make yeah, it. Hopefully I'll be back on for that. Thank you so much for having me. Of course, Austin.
Thank you so much to Austin Stark for that great conversation. Ernest, how's it feel? We are now only one link away from having Nicolas Cage on the podcast. We thought that we were close with being two links away with Jerry Ferreira working with Turtle Tob, but now we are just, we are one away from the source. We're about to get Cage on this pod. Well, uh, he talks, uh, Austin talks about how he's working on a, on a pandemic movie. Um, so if he gets Cage back for this movie, you know, we could have a situation where we could invite him back on promoting this movie if he's able to make it and he's able to get Cage for it. So the stars could align to get Cage on pod. Oh yeah. Give it, it might, to me. Yeah. Already. <laughs> it might be, it might be it for us. And you know, that'll be the end of, of we can end the mind. podcast. Yeah. We can end the podcast <laughs> at that point. <laughs> all right. Well, please stay tuned for all the other great Tribeca 2021 episodes that we have for you. A lot of great interviews with filmmakers and a lot of great movies that we're seeing. So check it out. Follow us. Uh, at We Bought a Mic on social media, subscribe to the show, recommend it to your friends, uh, donate if you're able to, webottomic.net if you want to contribute. And thanks for listening. Thanks for supporting. We'll see you next time. Take care. Bye-bye. Bye bye. Bye.